is actually not clear to them or where God is in different things um, and consequently if, if, if they can't um, it, it, it gives them some anxiety or gives them some worry this is a good place to be if it worries you if it doesn't worry you then that's not a good place to be um, unfortunately though there are also many people um, who think they are seeing God and they're not um, and that is a, a big problem. What they might actually be seeing is not God, what they might be seeing is actually themselves. Um, and so they are actually projecting themselves and their opinions out in their service, um, and they speak boldly in the name of God with their own thoughts and words and opinions. This is very common in the service, and it's actually extremely dangerous um, in the service. Um, and you'll hear it in, in different ways. Jesus would never say that. Um, and actually, maybe he said those exact words that, that's happened before. Um, or, or he would never, ever, ever do that. And it's like, actually, yes, he, he would. Um, why? Because you don't want him to do that. Or because you, you think it's wrong. Or because you wouldn't do that. And that doesn't make you right. Um, or there's no way the Bible would say something like that or mean something like that. And then that becomes a big problem because when that gets contradicted, um, and it will, um, because truth, truth always ends up being manifested. Um, then you have that, that either that servant or someone that servant taught could end up with a crisis of faith. Um, because they're like, no, they told me that that can't be true. That never happens. This is not the mind of God. This is not what the Bible says. And then somebody comes and says, actually, it does. And then it becomes a real, a real problem for that person. And sometimes it's actually a person projecting their own psychology. Um, so, for example, somebody who, um, I'll, I'll give an example, M my dad would go nuts when I would, like his, when I would shake my, my, my leg, if he was on the phone, he would like go crazy, put it down, like stop. Um, it's one of the things that drives him crazy. So until this day when I shake my leg, I get nervous, like I'm looking for someone who might yell at me. I'll try and speak louder. So until this day, I, I get very nervous when I shake my, my foot that someone's going to scream at me. Um, and so th that's affected my psychology. I, I, my relationship with my dad is great. We don't have a problem. But what I'm trying to say is that sometimes the servant has a, has a, has a complex. And so let's say they have an authority complex where they're actually petrified of authority. Um, they can project that in their service. It might not be the true image of God, but it might be like, no. 
you better behave like this or God is going to throw you in hell. Um, and if you do this, then God is going to do this and this and this, because that's, that's their view, right? That's how they, they see God, regardless of how right or how wrong that particular view is, that's what can come out. Another person, right, is their image of parenthood is, is like, and it's like, you don't need to do a thing, Jesus loves you, just give me a hug, um, and that might work for like 1%, but it doesn't work for the other ones, like, yeah, I still have a debt. Um, but there's, there's, there's ways that we project an image of God and we see God because of something, not just our parents, it could be friends, it could be crises, it could be a whole bunch of things. Um, so again, it, this is really important for you to question, do you really see God or do you just think you are? Um, because the, the, the framing question of the Gospels, at least of the synoptics, is who do you say that I am? Right? Like, how, what is it that you think I am? Like, the people can say whatever they want, but who is your understanding of me that each one of us needs to be able to answer? So as servants, we're supposed to be presenting the image of a living God, not a, a God of uh, the dead. If you do not know him, if you cannot see him, then you need to ask what precise, precisely you are presenting. Is it yourself? Okay, because... How this can manifest if you no longer see God is your lessons or your, your topics or your service could be very you-centric um, in that you're always the main example, um, you're always the source of reference, your thoughts, your opinions, your experience. I'm not saying you cannot ever use those, I'm just saying that it becomes completely about you. Or sometimes it shows in the service when all of the topics become social topics, the lovey-dovey, airy, fairy stuff. Um, and I'm not saying there's never a place for those. Um, or it'll become psychological, self-help stuff. How to finance, how to become the best version of you, how to manage your time. Um, none of which are intrinsically wrong. But that's not necessarily who God is at all. Um, and sometimes it's a manifestation because I don't know. So I can only talk about things that I know, and I, know, I only know how to talk about these things. But that's, that's a sign of weakness. If that's the, the whole core of the service, then we're not, we're not presenting God, right? Like when, when Christ had the disciples follow him, he, there's not a single lecture he gave on time management or financial management. He said, don't worry about your money, take nothing. Um, like that, that was a very different, different approach. So we have to be very cognizant of where we're at and to really reflect on our service about what we're presenting. Because if I have no foundation in the who is God, my service is not about God, period. Because you don't even know the answer. So there's no way it could really be about Him. If that's never crossed your mind, then there's something missing. So as we said, we're going to use uh, St. Gregory of Blessedness. I'm not going to use very much of it, just as guiding um, pieces, uh, to talk about His one of the ways, and he actually says that this is one of the ways of seeing God. It's not the only way, so if you're not liking this, like chill, it's not, it doesn't mean you're um, doomed. Um, but it's just, it's one way. Um, so it's a meditation on the life of Moses, who is, who is a prototype of, of, of a servant, right? A servant of God. Um, and particularly his ascent to the mountain in the cloud of darkness, where he would encounter God. So St. Gregory writes, since Moses was alone, by having been stripped, as it were, of the people's fear, 
He boldly approached the very darkness itself and entered the invisible things where he was no longer seen by those watching. After he entered the inner sanctuary of the divine mystical doctrine, there, while not being seen, he was in company with the invisible. He teaches, I think, by the things he did, that the one who is going to associate intimately with God must go beyond all that is visible in lifting up his own mind as to a mountaintop to the invisible and comprehensible. Believe that the divine is there and the understanding does not reach. So this is what he's saying is the first step. So he's saying Moses, he's a servant, he's called by God um, to be at the feet of the people and proclaiming the voice of God to them. Um, yet in this first step, it says that Moses is stripped of the people's fear. And the consequence of this is he leaves the people. So the people, when they see the cloud of darkness, when they see the presence of God, they're, they're petrified. They're like, that's not our business. Uh, Moses, like, you can take care of that stuff. And Moses is, is not having the same fear as the people, and he leaves them. And, and where this could be relevant to you as a servant is, if you are constantly and incessantly around people, you will not approach God. You will not approach God. Um, and this includes social media, okay? Because it even includes well-intentioned niceties of, Annie, I feel that that person, he just needs this, I need to be with him. Um, and then I remember that this person needs this. It's different when you're doing something in the service when, when it's perpetual, that you are constantly and persistently um, with people. In a 24-hour period, sorry. In a 24-hour period, um, <laughs> if, you, if you do not spend any time away from people and vanity, you will not find him. And this one's very contrary to how we're, we're programmed these days, where like it's hard to be with people and them not have their, their phone out. Like there are things that, like I'm not being sarcastic, but they, they weird me out because I, I don't know, like 15 years ago before the cell phone was that big, like we, we, didn't, we didn't use digital cameras to take pictures of our food. <laughs> like that wasn't a thing. Um, <laughs> we didn't take pictures of everything. Um, and so it gave meaning to a photograph <laughs> because it wasn't of everything in its mom, right? Whereas right now, it's like perpetual, like, oh, I need to grab that. Um, I've even seen in monasteries people live streaming the funeral of a monk. And I was like, hi, he's dead, and, and this is a funeral. Like, that's weird. Like, you don't, who does that? Like, that was never a thing before. But we're, we're that plugged in, as I was there, I, I saw that monk get prayed on. Good for you. Where, where is your internal... <laughs> like meditation on it or is you, or are you living to talk to other people about what you saw and how exciting it was and, and put 500 emojis on the picture um, because if that's what you're doing where's God right like your your mind is consumed with the social reaction and so if you're in with the people all the time obviously we have to we're, we're social beings so I'm not saying lock yourself in a room and, and and pretend you're an anchorite and you're not, right? But you, you also 
the other extreme of perpetual dialogue is, is not, it's not a thing for a servant. And if you're not able to detach from the people, it means you don't have an intimate relationship with God. Okay, it's like, it's like, I don't know if you've met people who have a deep relationship one with another, or if you have one with somebody, where those people are the ones that can say things like, oh, we cannot talk for a year, and when we get back together, it's like nothing changed. Like, because our relationship is deeper than that. And those people aren't jealous if they see pictures of that person with a bunch of other people. They're not like, oh man, I'm, why wasn't I there? Because there's a confidence in the relationship. There's something intimate that they share. But when you don't have that confidence, if your relationship with people is always only within a group, it means you don't experience a personal relationship with anybody. And that means you only know them in a group context. Um, will you benefit from that? Sure, to some extent. Like, I'm not saying that's a zero spiritual life. But it's not the same as going deep, which is what Moses is, is being called. And if you are a servant, if you are a servant, you, you, you must go deep. <laughs> like, like other, otherwise, what are you giving? There's an Arabic proverb, What you lack, you cannot give. It's a, it's a very well-positioned um, uh, phrase. So the other part of this, so the first part was his social withdrawal of not being with people 24-7. And then the second part is the lifting up of his own mind to the invisible and the incomprehensible. Um, this is going to sound wildly unpopular, but I'll say it anyway. Um, on one level, you actually have to turn off your cognitive expectations about God. Like, on one level, you do have to turn off your brain. And this is coming from someone with a science background who very much believes in logic. Okay, so I'm not saying you need to become an illogical person. What I am saying is that God is above even your logic. You cannot contain him with your logic. And if you approach God um, with your own conception, you won't arrive at him. Walking on water is outrageously irrational. Sorry, like you just, that's not, that's against physics, it's against everything that makes sense. Feeding the multitudes is, is against all natural properties. Matter cannot be created or destroyed. Right? There's, there's nothing sensical about many of the things that our Lord did. And that's his actions. Now what about his nature? His nature is well above yours. So if you are trying to take God and force him into these boxes of your intellect, and you might be an incredibly bright person, he won't fit. Because if he did, he's not God. If you could fully comprehend him, then he could not possibly be God. Because it means that a human, by their own effort and ability and their own nature, can arrive at the knowledge of God, the fullness of the knowledge of God. Then, then, he can, then he's not above you. Then he's just like uh, something to aspire to be like and nothing more. And so you have to take your mind above the rational. You have to get uncomfortable. You have to strip from yourself who you think God is so that when you approach him, you approach him with the question of who are you? Not with, not with, I know that you are blah, 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 blah. You have no idea who he is, right? We get glimpses of him through his, through his relationship with humanity through the ages, which is documented to us in the Bible. It's documented to us in the lives of saints. We're looking at these people to say, how did you get to know God? What did you find out about him? And everybody saw aspects of him. No one was able to capture um, his fullness. So then he says, again, the scripture, 
leads our understanding upward to the higher levels of virtue. For the man who received strength from the, from the food and, was, and showed his power in fighting with his enemies and was the victor over his opponents is then led to the ineffable, unutterable um, knowledge of God. Scripture teaches us by these things that the nature and the number of things one must accomplish in life before he would at some time dare to approach in his understanding the mountain of this knowledge of God. So what he's saying is, before even ascending the mountain, Moses had a life. Like, it wasn't like he woke up and suddenly was like, I'm climbing up this mountain. He wrestled, he fought, he ate, he drank, he, he, he lived as a normal human being. And this is the step that people don't like. Actually, St. Gregory says later on, he says, the knowledge of God is a mountain, steep indeed and difficult to climb. The majority of people scarcely reach its base. Why? Because they don't like work. Okay, they don't, just the sight of it, of the ascent, they're like, I, I, I'm not doing that, right? I'm not climbing that thing. That's, that's a lot to do. And so most people don't even reach, like standing at the base and saying, maybe I'll go up. They're, they're looking at from a distance and say, I won't do it. Um, and this is that most people want to stay in the realm of earthly knowledge and leisure. Um, and thus they are ignorant to spiritual knowledge. And the, the, this ignorance of spiritual knowledge, in my opinion, is the disease of the service. It's because you're not presenting any kind of real spirituality, because many of us are averse to the work that goes into it. So what is it that we must do? It's struggle. Struggle for virtue. Um, this is why to tie this, this, this topic with St. Gregory saying, our Lord says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What are the impurities of the heart? It's the passions. What are the opposite of the passions? It's the virtues. So, if you don't struggle for purity, you're not, you're not, you're not going to see God. That's just, it's just a fact. It's just how it is. Okay, and purity here, I'm not talking about sex. Okay, that's only one, that's only one aspect of, of purity. Purity is, is, is about having, being blemishless. Okay, and, and it's actually an extremely romantic thing. Okay, like a person, like, like I'll use romance as an example, I don't mean to make it always about that, it's just an easy one for people to understand. But I can view monogamy or fidelity to one person as the most annoying requirement ever. I can. And be like, why, why I have to smile my stuff with one? Why can't I love everyone? Right? Like, like I, I can have that mentality, but I can also look at it and say, I value you so much that I prize you above the whole rest of the world, all however many billion people that are there. There's two ways to view at it. One is very romantic, the other one is laborious. And so it depends on your disposition about whether you, how, you, how you view it. But purity, if you will, I like using this analogy, this is not clear, but imagine if this was, if this was a pure glass, pure crystal that you can see right through and the water in it is completely pure. That's purity. And what ruins purity is, is anything that you put into it. So, or, or disturbing it. If you disturb it, right, then it, you can't see through it. If you get mud in it, you've changed the whole substance of it. It becomes very murky. If you add more and more, if you add rocks, if you add coloring, if you bleed in it, whatever it is that you do in it, you're changing it. 
And now if I look through that water, I'm seeing it through the lens of my impurity. I am actually not seeing clearly. And that's why God said, the pure in heart see me, because I dwell in your heart. But when you put other stuff in your heart, then you can't see me because you've put in new filters, right? You've put on, you've put on blue sunglasses, and now your, your view of the world is actually skewed blue, and you think it's reality because it's, it is your present reality, but it is not real, right? And so the call to purity is say, take off those glasses, clean out that water, and actually you can't clean it out, I will clean it out. Work with me and I will clean out the water so that you can see me and I want you to see me, right? It's, it's my desire that you see me. It's not that I, I don't want you. It's that this is my nature. And if you tarnish all of this, I'm not, I'm not angry with you. It's just you can't see. So you don't understand. And when you don't understand, you misinterpret. And for you as a servant, if you misinterpret and you're teaching from that lens, you're teaching a skewed lens, right? And now you're teaching somebody something intrinsically false. There's no nice way to put it, it's false. It's not the real image, right? And then you raise a whole generation like that and then God have mercy on us, okay? So purity is something way beyond sexuality, right? This is, this is what it means to clear the, the, to clear the self of, of what's wrong, of, of, of purification, right? Imagine, for example, just to give an example, because sin is what, what what makes this battle difficult, right? But let's use the example of somebody being really, uh, uh, what's the word in English, also be um, easily agitated, okay? So imagine, it's hard to imagine our dads being easily agitated. Um, imagine a father who's very agitated all the time. Okay? And if this person is agitated all the time and he, and he loses his temper because of it and he's always abrasive and every time you approach him is like film Hindi and just it gets annoying and everyone's yelling and screaming and it takes like forever to get anywhere, you might have the wife at the beginning very patient, oh Habibi, Malish, um, it's going to be alright and all this kind of, of talk, maybe at the beginning. After the years, if, if the wife is not a saint, um, <laughs> then the wife might become just as <laughs> irritable and angry, okay? And so then the kids are now growing in an environment where everyone's just yelling all the time, right? And so there can be a bunch of reactions to this. The kid might be like, okay, I'm going to start yelling, apparently that's how you get things done, and whoever can yell loud is twins, okay? Or the kid will be like, I can't, <laughs> like, they're going to get, like, sound, like, blocking, like, headsets, and sit in their room and be like, I'm in my own world, okay? And a third kid might say, you know what, bun this, I'm leaving, right? And they're going to, I'm going to, as much as I can, chill with my friends, okay? And so they might be chilling with their friends. Now, their friends could be good, and their friends might have bad influences. Okay, and so let's say they're bad influence and they make them do all sorts of horrible things. The reason why I'm going through this whole event is to say, this starts with one person's wrong. Okay, one person is, has got no control over his temper and it's leading to all of these wrong consequences that could actually shape an, an, a whole person's life. This is why sin is dangerous. Because it's not just affecting you. Right? So it's not just your sermon to be like, oh, it's between me and God. You have no right to judge me. You're right. I have no right to judge you. I'm not interested in judging you. I'm just saying that if you sin, 
you're spiritually being dumb, okay? And we all do it, right? But what you're doing is very dangerous. Um, it's dead. Um, it's very dangerous for you, but it's also very dangerous for others. And so if you as a servant, um, can they hear in the back? No, okay. I'm just not good at yelling. Sorry, guys. My bad. We're live. Um, <laughs> and so sin is not, it's not personal. You can't just say it's, it's, it's personal. There's, there's pers there are personal sins. I don't want to be a total extremist. There are things that maybe I do only in private. But what I'm saying is that even what I do in private is actually probably affecting people. Because my, my sin blocks me from my ability to interact with God. Because the spirit is, is the is the seat within ourselves by, through which we dialogue with God. And so when it's sick, and I'm gonna get into analogy to explain that, I'm gonna not be as connected to God. So it, it is gonna affect my service because I'm actually not in a good place. Imagine, for example, when you're, there's someone that you love but you're, you have beef with, right? If someone comes to talk to you about that person, you're gonna be a little reserved in your speech during that period because you're upset by what's going on, right? And so, and it's not that you stopped loving them. It's just like, you're gonna see that heaviness in the person when they're speaking, where even people will pick up on it being like, I don't know what's going on between you guys, but like, you can fix it, right? So, the, the analogy that I like to use is the microphone, which um, is convenient, which is what, is, what is a microphone for? Sorry? Amplifying sound, okay? It has a purpose. Okay, just like human beings, we have, a, we, we have an identity. It's the image and likeness. Okay, now if I decide, and I'm permitted to decide, that I would like this microphone really to be a gum holder, and I start stacking my wads of gum on it, what will happen? It won't function, right? Underneath all of... The, the stuff I'm shoving on it, has the essence or the substance of the microphone changed? No, right? And so sin is, is, is putting the gum on there. Repentance is removing it and to stop putting more gum on it, right? It is saying, I, I, I was mistaken, I shouldn't do that. And when, when I sin, what I'm doing is actually inhibiting the spirit, the Holy Spirit, and I'm also inhibiting my, my human spirit. 
Um, and as I said, the, the, the spirit is the mode of communication between the human and God. And so the more I inhibit the spirit, the less, the less that I will actually access God. Um, it's like if someone is physically ill, they don't long to do certain things. If you're on TPN, if you're on like nutrition by like IV, okay, um, and you're on the verge of dying of starvation, like the idea of running a marathon in the morning is not remotely appealing, right? Unless you have a death wish, but like no one's gonna be like, oh yeah, man, like sign me up. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, if I can sit up on my own, I'll be happy, right? And this is what's happening with our spirit. So that sin is the, the illnesses of the spirit. If I'm very ill, I don't have a desire, right? This is why in our higher our more functional spiritual periods of our life, you're like, man, I was actually excited about liturgy. I was actually excited to pray. I was actually excited. And like, and it's nice to have those tastes to know that it's possible to like Higbeya, right? But then you have all these other periods, you're like, I can't stand this. Um, and it's, and there, these are the fluctuations of, of health. Um, but worse though, is if one lives unhealthily in an unhealthy way for a long time, that person might forget what health is even like and eventually has no thought or interest in pursuing health. I say worse because even though the person on TPN is in, a, is in a dangerous place, that person knows they're in a dangerous place um, and they're getting treatment so that they, don't, that they don't die. So that person can be restored to health. But the person, the person who's slowly dying and doesn't know or care that person's forgotten that objective health even exists, right? So imagine, for example, like if, this is not hard to imagine anymore, but obesity becoming the norm, like if that happens for many generations, it might be completely forgotten what it means to be not obese, right? Like, like it's just the memory is it's just not there. It's like, no, this is how everybody is. Like, like that's all there is to it. Um, so the same thing spiritually, if you don't have image and likeness in your mind, if you don't have virtue in your mind, then you're living day in, day out as a so-called Christian, but not living objectively as a Christian in any way whatsoever, and you're not healthy. You're not spiritually healthy. And so what you're teaching is from the lens of illness, and you might even be ratifying illness, right? I've, I've met servants who are like, I'm not going to be fake. Um, I'm not going to hide that I go to like the hookah bar. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's scary. Like, not because I'm like, yeah, man, hide, hide. It's to say that you don't have a problem with the concept means you're numb. It's a sign of something deeper than you realize. Like, it's not about whether or not you're so bold and so authentic that you're not going to present this false image of yourself. It's that you don't care that yourself is ill and that you want to present an ill um, model to the people and say, this is, this is fine, because Jesus loves me. Factually speaking, you're correct. He loves all of us. But he definitely didn't say that everything you do is correct. And he never said to any sinner that he encountered, you be you. <laughs> Ever. Right? He said, yeah, I love you, I forgive you, go and just don't do it again. He never said, he didn't say the Samaritan woman as we read on Sunday, way to go, you told the truth. And since you told the truth, you keep living with that guy. That's a great idea because you're honest. 
like, if that's what it was, we're like, then this is a really easy religion. <laughs> like, it would be great. Um, but that's not, unfortunately, how it goes. Um, and so the more I inhibit the spirit, the more diseased I become, the less I'm going to be able to access God. Um, and like I said, this is extremely dangerous for servants, and consequently for the whole service, and consequently for the whole church. You must see yourself in the context of the whole church, because we are all, we are all participating in creating spiritual offspring, all of us. And so if we are ill, we're creating generations of, of ill people, okay? We have to be very aware of this. Every servant must ask him or herself how serious he or she is about pursuing virtue. Sometimes people tell me um, that their servants tell them that certain things that are wrong are not wrong, and that it's just an Egyptian thing. Um, sometimes servants are actively living, as we said, a lifestyle totally contrary to the gospel. And I'm not judging somebody for falling or for falling short. But actively living is completely different from actively struggling, okay? Actively living in sin is completely different than actively struggling. We are all going to fall short, myself included. There's, there's no way that we're not, okay? But it's one thing to glorify and, and rationalize and justify my wrong, and another to say that I shouldn't have done that and I ought to repent, right? Repenting not meaning beating yourself up and dumping ashes on your head, Repenting just means change of heart. It means I'm, I'm mistaken. I shouldn't do that anymore. That's all it is. It's not dramatic. It's, it's very objective. If you want to be dramatic, go for it. But God doesn't demand that part. That's up to you. Um, if you as a servant, as we sit here at the hookabar, what are you teaching? Who are you representing? If you're living a sexually active lifestyle without remorse, without a real actual battle to leave it, not just a mental intention, then what are you presenting in your, in your service? Okay, like I'm, I'm not a legalist. Um, I'm not trying to make a point that servants are, 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 aren't sinners. We're, we all are. Um, we, we do stupid things, right? But I need to ask, what is the disposition of my heart? Do I even think about virtue? Do I go to my spiritual father and ask for exercises on how to uproot the wrong that's in my life? I don't see many servants doing this anymore. Especially, I'm sorry, like when I'm young, the younger generation. I don't see us as much going to our spiritual father and saying, I want to cease this sin and I need exercises. Right? What can I do to become more patient? What can I do to become more kind? What can I do to battle this sin? What can I do to uproot my temper? What can I do to stop talking so much? What can I do to stop lying or gossiping? What can I do to stop slandering my friends? Like, are we going and seeking to uproot the things um, that, are, that are wrong? Um, do I stand each day before God confessing and then really stri truly strive each moment um, anew? Right? Because you... you, you you start off by confessing to God. And if you're doing this daily, it's going to affect you, right? Like, you, you, you're, it's going to affect you when you stand and acknowledge the things that you're doing. If you reflect each day on, on what I'm doing right or wrong, then the concept of right or wrong is on my mind. But if I don't, then it's not even on my mind. So I'm going to remember every whatever period is before I confess. I give a boon of the list. He flushes it down, and then I'm good, right? And praise God, I'm saved. Okay. 
but that's not that's not life, right? That's not actively that's not actively struggling. When your children whom you serve come to you with a struggle, and, and they do, if you yourself have not been learning how to fight, how will you offer them anything meaningful, as opposed to some textbook fluffy answer? Or are you going to tell them, you know, Jesus loves you no matter what, and don't worry, and um, like we said, that's true, um, but God is not okay with endorsing sin. Not in the Old Testament, and not in the New. That didn't change. God didn't suddenly in the New Testament be like, sin's cool now. He didn't at all. But if you have no struggle in your life, you can't help anyone. Because it's not even real to you. Um, when the leaders, the clergy, and the servants stop striving for holiness, they don't see God. Period. That's true for me. It's true for all of us. Um, and in our blindness, we will raise generations of blind children who will likewise be blind, except for the grace of God. Because I do believe that any, any heart that's seeking Him, God's not going to forsake. Um, but it is this blindness in the service that leads the church to become an organization and no longer a church, or a business, and no longer a church, or a culture club, and no longer a church. And this happens in so many of our, our own churches. I'm not even talking outside as though our church is, is, is immune to this. We are not immune to this. This happens, I actually think it's, it's a bane of, of Orthodox churches more than it is other churches, because we're coming from, from motherlands, quote-unquote. And so consequently, it is so easy for our churches to become culture clubs. And this is why we have these struggles between, is that an Egyptian thing or is that a Christian thing? Because they're all blended into one, right? And so if someone has long hair, it's, it's Aib. If somebody has this, it's whatever, right? But if once we start doing that, which incidentally is what the temple had become when the Lord came, right? When, when the Lord came, that is what the temple had become. That's why the Lord couldn't stand the temple. The only people he ever clashed with were as John keeps on referring to that as the Jews. And when he means the Jews, he's not talking about every Jew. He's talking about the leadership of the temple. Okay? Is that it was the servants, it was the leaders, it was the priests, it was the Pharisees, it was the Sadducees. These were the people who had completely changed it. Right? This is why, why Christ looks at them and he says, yeah, really, you're, 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 you're upset about the Sabbath. Right? You're upset about the Sabbath because I healed someone. Whereas you're saying the commandment to honor your mother and father doesn't matter because you're saying that some guy whose mother and father are destitute and need the money, you're saying, no, it's barakah. For you, it's blessing to bring the money to the temple. Why? Because the priest takes that money. And so you're saying, so it's okay to get rich off of their parents and breaking commandment, and you're mad that I'm healing on the Sabbath. What is wrong with you? Right? This is, this is the regular dialogue between Jesus and, and the, our Lord Jesus and the, and the leaders of, of the church. But we, we very much become that as servants, right? Where we might be yelling and screaming at people for the most minute thing that they fall short in and leave these gigantic things unspoken about. It is a sign that we became institutionalized, cultural, all these things. We have to be alert to these things. Are we working as servants to make sure that it is the house of God and not anything else? Um, 
the house of God, the house of purity, um, the place from which people can see God and, his, and hear his voice clearly. Okay, the, the Holy of Holies was called the Dubar, okay, and like Mudabbir. And it was literally the place out of which God speaks, right? And this is why Christ was saying that's not the temple. The, the word, Dubar actually is synonymous with the word. He's like, that's not the word. I'm the word. I will be, I'm the voice of God. Um, he, he dissociated the people. That's why he said there's no longer, as he said to Samaritan as we see on Sunday, it's not the temple. It's not the temple. Um, it's, it's me. I am, I am now the throne. You have to encounter this. This is about seeing God. If you don't encounter this, you need, who knows what you're, you're, you're giving out. To you as a servant in your own life, you must fight to uproot the thoughts, memories, and darknesses of the heart if you want to see God. Period. It's, it's, it's an absolute imperative that, it, that you have to. That's why I'm spending the longest time on this aspect because this is the hardest part of the journey. This is the reason why Gregory is saying people don't make it to the base of the mountain. They look at it and they say, I just, I'm not doing it. It is in this stage that we will spend most of our lives. God will not be absent in this. So I'm not saying that you, you're not going to encounter God until you get there. But God's not absent, but it's in the same way that we see the benefits of health as we start progressing towards health, capital H. So let's use the example of someone, I use overweight a lot because I'm overweight, in the state that they are in, okay? They cannot run, okay? Um, they physically cannot, not because they're not interested, it's not because they don't desire to, it's just not possible, okay? They can't do highly laborious things. We can't do push-ups or sit-ups the way some people can. Um, so that's, let's say that's the spiritual state of, of, of us, okay, as, as, as most of us are. But as we start, okay, with the diet, we might start to find a slight change of energy, right? And then slowly you might be like, oh wow, and now I have a little bit more concentration, right? And then a few, of, maybe a few more weeks in, it's like, oh wow, I'm, I'm actually sleeping a little bit better, right? Then slowly they start losing some weight. Then they start feeling excited about that, right? But then they also start to lose weight. They feel the joy of moving more quickly, wearing different clothes. Um, and eventually exercise does become an option, right? Where it's like, actually now I can. I am able to do this now, right? And so at each stage they discover something new. And that new thing is not the entirety of health, capital H, but it's a characteristic of health. And so I'm starting to participate in that life, that healthy life, and I get to see things that are joyful, and I get benefits, and I get glimpses of it, I start to understand characteristics, even if I haven't, I haven't arrived um, at the thing, and it's helping me put together the whole picture of what is health. That is what happens in our spiritual life. So I might not arrive at the full knowledge and the full realization of God, which I, I never really will actually, but I, I won't even go into the depths of that, in my state of sin, but as I struggle, I, I do experience God. God is present in it. God does reveal himself. God does show aspects of what it is to be holy, what it is to be in him, even if I haven't arrived at perfection. So it's not like until you have cut off every passion and you have no relationship with God. Absolutely not. There is definitely a relationship with him at all steps um, throughout the way. Um, the same is true in our spiritual struggle. Even if we will not see the fullness of God as close as we are, um, we will have more and more revealed to us. 
Um, and we also start to see the beauty and the purpose of virtue. Like the example we used earlier about anger. Of like, oh, it's not just because God doesn't like it. It's not just because it's not his character, but you know, these, these passions cause problems. And so you start to even appreciate it in the same way that a person who might love fast food, if they've ate clean for a really long time, the first time they eat fast food after they tend to get sick. And they're like, oh wow, this is nasty. But you didn't realize it before, right? It only happened after, after you cut it out. Um, that's what happens with the virtue. Um, you start to see that it's better for people not to be selfish. That is better not to be angry. That is, um, you start to see the, the beauty and the romance of purity. Then you start seeing the image of God himself more clearly. Um, who he is, how he is, his splendor, his awesomeness, they're overwhelming. Um, and this can only be described as spiritual sight. Um, because it sees things that cannot be articulated. Like you won't even know how to tell somebody what you're seeing. Like you, you want to and you won't be able to. Like you can, you can give analogies, but you won't be able to say, here's what I, it's like trying to tell somebody why you love someone so much. Like you can say some of their characteristics, but another thing like, oh, well, I have those, right? And I think, yeah, I don't know, I don't like you that way, right? But like, and, and they might, they might even have them more than the person you love. But you can't intimate it, you can't say like, like for me, like St. Anthony's in the Red Sea, if they were to destroy that monastery and make it a garbage heap, that will still be a holy sight for me, and I won't be able to explain it to anybody. Right? Like, it's, it's, something, it's something intimate that you end up encountering. So this stage that, sorry I took so long on it, is the stripping yourself of the earthly. To put on the spiritual. What is from earth is earthy, as we read every Feast of the Resurrection. What is of the spirit is spiritual. What you are doing is striving towards recovering the image and likeness of God in which you're created. It is your own soul that is doing the seeing, not your own eyes. Then St. Gregory says, when, when this has been accomplished, and the herd of irrational animals had been driven as far from the mountain as possible, Moses then approached the ascent, the, the herd of the animals, now you can see as a symbolic of the, the, the passions of all that are unclean. Um, Moses then approached the ascent to loft percep lofty perceptions. That none of the irrational animals were allowed to appear on the mountain signifies, in my opinion, that in the contemplation of the intelligibles, we surpass the knowledge which originates with the senses. So, when what we just discussed at length is accomplished, the person begins to know God by the heart. Contrary to so many people who, without wrestling at all, say, I just know him in my heart. Um, I am not going to judge every individual, I just highly doubt it. If there hasn't been struggle, I, I highly doubt it. Um, if there's been struggle, very likely. But if there hasn't, this, this lovey-dovey thing in your heart is probably just you. Um, God said his spirit would not wrestle with man. Right? This is in, in Genesis 6, where he's like, I'm not. I'm not gonna fight you perpetually. So I will prod you, I will, I will work with you, but if you are adamant on the flesh and not the spirit, I won't fight you. You can have what you want. I gave you, I gave you free will. Um, he respects your free will, and if your heart is not receiving of him, which is manifested as he said, by showing love to him, which he said is by keeping the commandments, which he said 
is to be at the feet of everybody. Um, he's like, then I won't, I won't live there. I won't live in your heart if this is not what you want. Um, he will respect that you say you want him, but, um, but don't. But it's, it's like someone inviting someone to dinner and saying, I really want you um, to eat, but actually I have no food in my fridge and I can't afford to buy any food, but I really wish you would eat. That's not really meaningful, right? It's completely different if it's, I'm destitute of food because I gave it all away. In which case, he's gonna say, no, I'm coming. I'm coming and I'm gonna bring the food, right? It's a completely different scenario. But when you're saying, oh no, I want to be virtuous, I just don't really, but I do, Lord. I just love you so much, right? I just, I love the idea of you and I want you to fill my heart, but when I'm done. So he'll say, okay when you're done and, and you're ready, let me know, because I'm not, I'm not gonna force myself in. Um, and so St. Gregory gives, um, but when the heart, sorry, is full of holiness, then God himself rests there. Um, and because of that, one begins to see God through the inner eyes of the heart, which is the spirit. A person will continue to struggle, they will. It's not like you don't sin, we're, we're all sin. Um, but they also begin to have direct access to God, which gives them the power. And this is where St. Gregory gives a warning. One must wash from his understanding every opinion derived from some preconception and withdraw himself from his customary intercourse, meaning dialogue, with his own companion, that is, with his sense perceptions, which are, as it were, wedded to our nature as his companion. When he is so purified, then, the, then he assaults the mountain. It is a re-emphasis of what he said at the beginning. If you want to know God, you must drop your preconceptions about him. This is very logical, actually. Um, I'm sure many of you guys have watched LeBron play basketball, um, or you love the Potter books, right? By rolling, like, there's gotta be one, some, like, you gotta fall into one of those camps. Um, imagine <laughs> if you were to start chilling regularly with either LeBron or, or rolling, okay? You may think you know them, through their, their tweets, or their court play, or their public um, appearances, right? You might think you, you have an idea of who they are. You might have preconceptions about them from what you saw, and you might have biases from what you've heard from other people. You may also have assumptions about what it's like to be rich, or black, or white, or famous, okay? But as you spend more time with the actual person, if you were given that opportunity, if you only deal with them um, through the lens of what you think about them or what you heard about them, you're actually not going to encounter the real person. So you're not really going to you're not really going to get them, right? Like you just you just assumed what they're like and you're dealing with them with that assumption, but you didn't you're not you're not getting them actually. You have to drop all of those to simply enjoy the presence of that person and get to know them as they are. Ask them questions. Listen to the responses, see how they react, see what they, they say, what they do. Then you're going to be like, then you're able to say, no, 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 that's not what they're like. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give an example, I've known him since I was 17, right? So I know him very well. So when I read a book about him, I was like, this is not Abuna Lazarus. <laughs> like, it's a very good book. Um, I was like, this guy, this is not him. Right, and so when I went to Buenos Aires, was years and years ago. I'm just like, yo, so like, you're famous, like you got a book, um, and he's like, what did you think? I'm like, I thought it was weird, um, and he's like, it was. 
Um, he was like, he didn't really get it. Um, Whereas that guy thinks he did. Why? Because in his mind, here's an image of Anchorite. Here's an image of desert holiness. Here's what I want to see. And I'm going to write a book that confirms that by using quotes of, of Father Lazarus that say what I want to say. And then he doesn't say anything offensive or wrong or, or heretical. It's just, it's not the essence of, of, of the, the teaching of, of, of him, right? So if you don't get to know the person stripping of your mind of what you think that they want or feel they're going to be sensitive to that you don't know. The same is true for God, right? If you approach God, Right, with the idea that he wants you to grovel. God, I'm like, I didn't ask you to grovel. I mean, if you want to, go ahead, but I, I, this is not my demand from you, right? Or if you're standing up to pray, right, and you're just like using language that's not even yours and being weird, right? Like, then like you're not having a conversation with him, right? Like, if you're standing there and just be like, oh, thou the magnificent. Um, and like getting into like your Shakespearean thing and like all is your preface to be like, but like really can you hook me up with my exam, right? Remember like you, <laughs> you didn't need the preface, right? Like you can use your own language and tell me what you really think, right? Like, but if you think that he needs you to beg for it to happen, you're imposing that on them. That may not be what he is actually expecting, right? So that's why you, you have to strip your preconceptions um, of him when you um, approach. Um, finally now, um, I'm sorry I, I took a little bit long, um, we arrive at this paradoxical cloud of darkness. Um, and it's paradoxical because it's, you don't expect like dark to be the metaphor for, for God, right? You, you expect it to be light. Um, but it's in this cloud of darkness where one will finally see, but not with our eyes. With the eyes you can't, you can't see because in this cloud of darkness it's black. The light is gone. And so you, you're, he's saying you don't even have the option of trying to see it in your own way because it's been darked out. Okay, Now you don't even have the option of dealing with God sensually because the senses are blocked. Um, this is arrival at, this is where he says, we arrive at the darkness, at the mountain's peak, when one has ascended to the heart of, God, of the cloud, he finds himself in the darkness of night. Now all light is gone and the cloud has become so thick that one at last sees nothing at all. In this place where the senses could cease their sensing, the soul is left to pure contemplation and there it sees God. In other words, arrival at knowledge is not by living sensually. Okay, that is not how you arrive at the knowledge of God, but living in spiritual perfection. The senses can give real insights. Okay, senses, they're not evil. They just they, they give you insights, they don't give you the wholeness. Um, but they also can weave great deceptions. Um, the mind and the senses are potential sources of truth, but they are not the truth itself. The spirit finds the truth in its intimate union with God, who is in his person the truth. We really do need to embrace as servants this concept of the total transcendence of God. That whatever it is that we can fathom or imagine, God must be greater than that still. If God were fully comprehensible, as we said, he could not be God. Um, and then God is not above creation. God is totally beyond knowing. Um, only again, in being blinded by the senses, will one see God. Um, you may get to him in various ways, but this is how we actually see him. Um, the work of spiritual progression toward this, of course, is what all we need. In order to do this requires discipleship. I always throw that plug in because it's necessary. Um, because you might be moved 
to work toward God and think that one fully comprehends or gets it and then find major roadblocks and then not know how to get past it and then give up or get hurt um, or worst case scenario is, is, is die and that can happen. You can die on your spiritual journey. Um, most importantly, I hope that each of us has kindles, have kindles within ourselves uh, the desire to see God, one from the heart. Um, because God will grant our heart's desire without stripping us from that desire because he is infinite. To end with a quote from St. Gregory on this, Indeed, God would not have shown himself to his servant if the vision would have been such as to terminate Moses' desire. Um, for the true vision of God consists rather in this, that the soul that looks up to God never ceases to desire him. May God grant us the sight and struggle to his glory now and forever. Amen. Sorry, that was long. Thank you, Father Anthony Paul. Um, we're kind of having a small shift, but we're moving forward with our schedule, so it's time for quite time. Caroline is going to give uh, an instructions of how the quiet time is going to look like. Then uh, we're going to spend, um, we'll go at the, to the small church for the quiet time, then we'll be back here at noon.